Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Geriatric medicine is the medical specialty that focuses on health care of older adults. Palliative care is specialized medical care for people of all ages who are living with a serious illness. The care is focused on providing relief from the symptoms and stress of the illness. Today, my guests are Dr. Michael Westerman, specialist in geriatric medicine and palliative care, and Kristen Nanetti, palliative care coordinator at Virginia Hospital Center. They're going to talk about palliative care, who's eligible for care and where it's provided, and the issues that may influence when it gets started. They'll also talk about the palliative care team and the forms of palliative care, as well as the transition to hospice care. So welcome, Dr. Westerman and Kristen, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you. All right. Well, Dr. Westerman, let's start with you. Um, I gave one sentence about the definition of geriatric medicine, but it will help our listeners to understand a little bit more about the difference between geriatric medicine and internal medicine. So could you give us a bit of an overview on that first, and then we'll get into palliative care. Sure. Geriatric medicine is the field which specializes in the problems of aging, uh, which can include um, the uh, progression of chronic illnesses or acute illnesses that we develop later in life, or it can uh, be problems of uh, decrease in function, physical function, cognitive function. Um, I, um, very early on in my education and training, became interested in the problems of aging. I did um, uh, residency and fellowship training in geriatric medicine. And so uh, really the early part of my career um, and up to this day has been focused on uh, problems of aging. And since aging, there might be uh, issues that then ultimately occur that could lead to serious illness. Talk about palliative care. What is meant by that? And I think sometimes people confuse that with hospice care. So give us an overview of the health conditions that would might warrant palliative care and some of the other factors there, including even the settings where it's provided. Well, I think you're right that uh, palliative care is uh, not widely known, and it is um, mixed up with hospice care and, and other things. Um, palliative care is the medical specialty um, that uh, helps address the uh, symptoms uh, of uh, acute or chronic illness um, and um, helps really uh, bring together uh, different disciplines uh, to help the uh, quality of life of patients with uh, serious or life-limiting illness. So explain kind of what happens during palliative care versus hospice care. What kind of health conditions warrant palliative care? Where is it provided? What do we need to know? Well, that's why we're spending this hour talking about it, because it's actually a pretty broad uh, field. Um, and it's, it's relatively new. I mean, it's, it is a specialty uh, of internal medicine. Um, uh, I think it's uh, similar to geriatrics and, and other uh, disciplines that require an interdisciplinary team. And that means not just doctors and nurses, but it can include uh, social workers and uh, 
physical therapists, chaplains, uh, volunteers. Um, palliative care is really broad. So really anyone with a serious or life-limiting illness can benefit from this specialty. And um, so, I mean, one of the big questions is, okay, I have a chronic illness and I have uh, pain. Where do I get palliative care? And that's, uh, that is definitely a challenge. Now, what we'll uh, talk about a lot is our team at Virginia Hospital Center. Um, we are hospital-based, uh, Kristen and I, and uh, a growing number of staff. Uh, but we're um, working on expanding. We're working on having outpatient services. Um, the hospital system is certainly committed to uh, making palliative care more available. Um, palliative care is uh, really a, um, I mean, it's a philosophy, it's an approach of care, um, and we're certainly not trying to, um, you know, be proprietary and say these are our uh, tools. We want people to, you know, learn and understand, and, and certainly our colleagues um, in, uh, in medical fields and nursing, um, I see are, are really um, embracing a lot of the things that we do. And talk about the health conditions. Is it always a, a terminal illness like cancer or ALS, or could it be other kinds of conditions as well? Certainly any serious or life-limiting illness. Um, now, in, uh, in our country, chronic illness, chronic disease is, is a, a major and growing problem. I mean, I would say half of all adults have at least one chronic disease, which can include diabetes or hypertension or high cholesterol, um, asthma. Um, so um, really any illness that causes symptoms or limitation of quality of life um, is really a candidate for palliative care. Um, you know, there, there certainly aren't enough palliative care providers to, to see everyone. Um, in um, certainly in hospital patients, um, uh, you know, who um, have really a, a lot of different uh, presentations and backgrounds, um, but uh, will be admitted with an acute illness. And, you know, so there's the, um, the attention on uh, helping them and um, treating the acute illness and, um, you know, getting them back on their feet. Um, Certainly, uh, cancer and, and um, you know very serious illnesses associated with um, the need for managing symptoms, for uh, addressing uh, goals of care, which we can talk about. And you know that um, you know that magical um, idea of how can we really help the overall patient? How can we um, attend to their quality of life? And so when you're treating older adult patients and, and thinking about palliative care, is there often an overlap then between geriatric medicine and palliative care? And how does that overlap? Well, it's, it's interesting that the medical specialties of geriatrics and palliative care are relatively new fields of medicine, uh, usually internal medicine. Um, many academic centers that are 
offering fellowship training in either geriatrics or palliative care will offer um, you know a dual uh, program so if if you're a, a doctor um, completing residency in, in it could be internal medicine family practice you know a variety of different fields and you want to get additional training in either geriatrics or palliative care uh, there are programs that will train you in both and allow you to sit for the uh, medical boards uh, for both um, I think that geriatrics and palliative care have similar uh, clinical approach um, and a reliance on the interdisciplinary team um, one of the challenges uh, that geriatric providers have and I can certainly uh, test to that from my clinical experience is that uh, it's very complex and there's not just the patient there's families and caregivers and residences and communities and uh, many other doctors and specialists and and so it's uh, a, a lot of people it's not just one person and um, it's important to really look not just as a, uh, somebody as a patient but as you know a, a person who has uh, things going on and yes we can bring our expertise and um, uh, resources to, to help them, but we really also need to communicate with them and understand them. Palliative medicine is very much, I think, thrives on uh, not just the, the expertise and tools, but the communication. And take that a little bit further. I'm, I'm wondering what factors then with all of these people as part of the process, the healthcare providers, the family members, the patient himself or herself, what then actually makes the determination of when palliative care for an older adult should be provided. I'm assuming you collect this input and, and that, but what are the factors that influence when palliative care should be started? In the medical literature, um, you know, there's a lot of investigation about the, really the need for palliative care, the benefits, you know, who uh, we really should be offering it to. And um, uh, I joined uh, Virginia Hospital Center uh, a year ago and, and really early on I found that Kristen and uh, the population health department uh, and really the, uh, the medical staff in general were, were trying to um, kind of understand better in the day-to-day -day process of caring for patients and uh, the fact that hospitalizations can actually be pretty uh, rapid and brief um, you know trying to figure out who um, we should um, be offering palliative care to is, is an important thing. And, um, you know, there are um, criteria and tools and, and things, but I think that, um, uh, you know, the idea of certain uh, diagnoses or illnesses, um, whether patients have um, uncontrolled symptoms uh, or whether there's um, uh, challenges uh, in terms of uh, understanding the options of care and um, how to make decisions and, you know, um, helping uh, patients have the information and resources that they need to make decisions and have the best outcome. And I think what you're leading into is the different types of or forms of palliative care when I was preparing these questions, I, I read that there's symptom management, which you read, but also, say, emotional support, spiritual care, 
Is that correct? And expand on those. What what are we talking about in terms of each of those? What does that involve? So so that goes to the interdisciplinary approach of palliative care uh, in that, um, yes, there are doctors and nurses, and there's this medical uh, uh, personnel and approach, but uh, we really um, either have team members or partners um, that um, will bring uh, the other approaches. And that can include uh, social uh, services and therapy, that can include chaplaincy and spiritual care. Uh, it can include restorative or, or rehabilitative care. Um, I think that um, community partnerships, uh, volunteers and caregivers are, are a big part of um, the uh, the approach. I think that um, at least 30%, 40% of our patients have um, dedicated uh, caregivers. You know, it could be their family, it could be um, a private aid, um, but these uh, individuals um, uh, are very often the heart of care for, for patients. And, and I think it's important uh, that we uh, include them uh, to the extent that our patients want them to be uh, part of their life and care. Um, the, um, I mean, I think the, the idea goes back to the holistic or overall uh, approach that we bring to care. I'm thinking about if there's a uh, care plan, depending on what, say, the diagnosis or other factors, as you've mentioned already, is this palliative care then whatever form? Is there a combination of the of the three forms that is provided then? Is it provided 24-7 or uh, just one shift, say, in the hospital? Help us understand more what the approach is when it's decided that palliative care is, is appropriate. So I could speak uh, primarily to the hospital palliative team. Um, there is there are palliative providers in the community typically associated with uh, uh, specialized practices, including oncology. Um, our team is um, consulted uh, by um, the hospital physicians to uh, address um, symptoms or goals of care um, or um, overall um, you know, palliation and quality of life. So um, we, uh, Kristen and I and, and the other disciplines that work with us, you know, we do, um, I think, work together pretty closely. Um, you know, we, we sometimes see the patients as a team. Uh, we sometimes kind of, uh, one of us will start working with the patient and bring the other uh, team members in. Um, so it's, uh, every day is different. Every every case is a challenge. I think that there's not enough of us, and so that's why uh, I think Kristen dedicates a lot of her time to um, outreach and and training and mentoring. Um, and um, I think that um, when uh, we work with our colleagues, you know, they they certainly bring their experiences and expertise to, to their work. And um, uh, they have different um, philosophies and approaches, but I think they're increasingly uh, understanding and accepting of palliative care and, and not feeling that it is 
um, something that you bring in as a Hail Mary or as, okay, we've done everything and we're out of ideas. I think that palliative care is really uh, an additional uh, approach and tool set. And I'm just going to uh, ask Kristen a question because I I understand exactly, and I guess since I'm a, a registered nurse, although I haven't practiced for a long time, obviously, Kristen, you as a nurse, uh, and you are the coordinator within the palliative care unit over at Virginia Hospital Center. Talk about your role and the role of other nurses. I think that would be helpful to understand kind of the balance between the physicians and then the nurses in terms of providing palliative care. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, so my role as the nurse, um, there are some some shared responsibilities with the um, I assist with the goals of care discussions, the symptom management, advanced care planning, the transitions to hospice and comfort-focused care, um, as well as providing education and doing the psychosocial assessments and support. And I think that's where a lot of the time we find out um, that a patient or their loved one might need uh, further emotional support. Um, in addition to the symptom management and the goals of care conversations that we're having. And then in collaboration with the rest of the nursing staff throughout the hospital, uh, we work very closely. Um, I do a lot of education with the nursing and hospital staff. Um, like we said, there's there's only two of us on our team, so we try to expand and ensure that um, everybody can receive palliative care. It's what they want. So we ensure that our teammates are able to provide this type of support as well. And I was wondering, uh, Kristen, also in terms of palliative care, is that usually provided in the hospital on uh, the intensive care or is it is there a special unit uh, floor within the hospital and where palliative care is provided or is it uh, provided throughout all of the units within the hospital? So specific to VHC Health, we don't have a unit or specific location where palliative care is um, is administered. Instead, we're a consult team. So we see patients all throughout the hospital. We can go to the medical units, the intensive care unit, the acute rehab unit, the surgical units. We're, we're really all throughout the hospital. Okay. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit more later in terms of other aspects of the uh, Virginia Hospital uh, Center palliative team. But Dr. Westerman, I wanted to get back to you then. As you think about palliative care, is there ethics involved in terms of how you advise the start of palliative care for older adult patients? Are there issues that you have to consider as you make this this determination? In professions, ethics are really the, the basis of our moral approach. And um, I think that there are a lot of ethical and legal uh, as well as social issues in, in the care of our patients. Um, I think that increasingly um, uh, medicine has, has worked to support the autonomy of patients and their decision makers. So um, I think a big issue uh, of palliative care is to, um, you know, empower patients with information uh, 
and an understanding of their uh, their health and their care options and to uh, understand their goals and um, answer questions that they have. Um, I, I think that uh, um, in the process of our work with patients, you know, there's, there's uh, times when somebody will say, you know, I, this is uh, what I'm thinking in terms of what I want for my life, but is this something I can do in the state of Virginia or, you know, what, what is the, uh, the, the legal basis of, of things. And so, um, you know, those, those are certainly important questions as well. One thing I was also wondering as you approach this particular topic, say with an older adult patient, can you, and perhaps both you and Kristen can respond to this, is that might there be a problem in terms of communication or, or, uh, difficulties making decisions. You, An older adult may have uh, some dementia issues or some other cognitive problems. And so the understanding what you're talking about in terms of palliative care. So I just thought I'd start with focusing on the patient itself uh, is to conveying that thought of it's time for palliative care. Can that be a problem? I'll ask you and then Kristen might want to respond as well. I think it's a key issue because um, we have a very uh, diverse community that we serve and um, we have uh, uh, patients of many different languages and cultures. Um, uh, I am I'm always impressed by um, the um, understanding that patients have or don't have, um, which can uh, be related to their um, uh, their literacy or their education, but um, you know, I think that some of us are are more attuned than uh, than others. So, um, really, kind of uh, meeting patients where they're at is important. Um, something that Kristen is very expert at, and and I'm 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 a little bit uh, less expert than her is to to understand the um, the surrogate decision makers uh, of our patients and, and, you know, how they uh, have come to that role and um, uh, how we can involve them in, in the decisions. I mean, I think that um, uh, medical providers really want to um, either have patients speak for themselves or to be spoken for by the, the people that they wish. Krista, you got anything to add? I heard you say a little bit more about education, and uh, Dr. Westerman talked about language and, uh, again, perhaps other kind of health conditions. What do you find? Yeah, so clear communication and understanding on the part of the patient and their loved ones can definitely be impacted by many different factors. Um, we obviously don't have time to get into all of it today, but... Um, I think, first of all, there are a lot of misconceptions out there about palliative care and hospice. Uh, many people believe that they're the same thing, that they equate with care that's received in the final days of life, or that it means giving up, or that medical care is no longer provided. Uh, all of these are incorrect. Uh, to be a little bit more specific, uh, palliative care can be administered simultaneously with curative and life-prolonging care, whereas Hospice is for people in the last six months of life, not the final days. Um, both involve continuation of supportive medical care. 
Um, but when entering into hospice care, there's a shifting of perspective that needs to occur. In hospice care, we're not hoping for a cure, but we're hoping for improved quality of life, relief of suffering, and living however and wherever you want to live uh, without needing to return to the doctor's office if that's not what is desired on the part of the patient. Um, navigating the healthcare system in general can be complex, even for those of us who work in it. I think clear communication is imperative for people to be able to make difficult decisions. Particularly when people are grieving, they might not be processing the information that's provided to them as clearly as they normally would. So this is where palliative care consults can be very helpful. We're trained in clear communication and supporting people through their grief during these difficult times. So we can ensure that the difficult information being presented is clear and we can assist them through the complex decision-making process. Um, another common scenario that we see more often than we like to is that some older adults can be isolated and not have as many loved ones to help care for them. Uh, regardless of your situation though, it's, it's helpful to have an advanced medical directive. These are documents that appoint someone you trust to make medical decisions on your behalf should you be unable to speak for yourself. And they also outline your end-of-life medical decisions, such as whether you want to receive heroic measures, life support, artificial feeding, or symptom management-focused care at the end of your life. These are difficult conversations and decisions to make, and it's helpful to make these decisions in consultation with a trusted physician and loved ones um, so that they may carry out your wishes. This is where palliative care can help as well. We're trained in doing it, care planning. Okay. And we're going to talk more about maybe some of the other factors after the break that might come into play. And I was thinking specifically talking about the care partners or the caregivers and family members uh, and the role that they play as well. But we're going to take a short break right now. We are talking about palliative care today with Dr. Michael Westerman, who is a specialist in geriatric medicine and palliative care. And he's at Virginia Hospital Center, as is Kristen Nanetti, who is a palliative care coordinator. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are talking today about palliative care with Dr. Michael Westerman, a geriatrician and palliative care specialist, and Kristen Nanetti, who is a palliative care coordinator. And both of these uh, healthcare providers are at Virginia Hospital Center. And before the break, we talked about some of the ethical issues and how as a decision about palliative care is made, what are the factors that these two healthcare providers and their team members have to face. 
And we talked about the patient themselves, but Dr. Westerman, how about the, the care partner, the caregivers, the family members? What, what role do they play? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? So we'll start with you. And then Kristen, as the palliative care coordinator, would like to hear from you as well. Well, as Kristen mentioned, we're a consultative service in the hospital. Um, uh, it doesn't require a doctor's referral for us to consult on a patient. Uh, we have patients or even their, their family and caregivers who say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see if palliative care can, uh, can weigh in or help. Um, I think that, um, you know, relationships are really important. I think that um, when, uh, you know, when we're ill and um, we're um, seeking care, we're, we're not just concerned about ourselves; we're concerned about our loved ones. And um, so um, certainly uh, many patients uh, who are ill or older um, uh, really rely on caregivers and love caregivers. And so um, they're, um, sometimes they know the patient the best. Um, uh, I think that, um, you know, I think it's, the relationships, it's uh, supporting the patient's autonomy, um, it's the communication regarding um, what's going on, what can we learn, what questions could we answer. Um, uh, you know, like when I watch uh, shows about doctors on TV, you know, they ask a couple of questions and they, uh, you know, they make a diagnosis, which is, you know, hitting the nail on on the head with the hammer, but that's, that's very, uncommon in life. And uh, so, um, you know, I think that uh, what, uh, what we talk about and what, um, what patients and caregivers tell us is uh, really important. And Kristen, add to that and maybe even give an example of how you see as you work with the families and the, the care partners and the patient, what is your role and, and how do you work together, you and your team members as well with these uh, these folks? So I first want to say I completely agree with what Dr. Westerman said about involving patients' loved ones. Um, we, in palliative care and in, in hospice as well, we are not only here to support the patient, but we're also here for their loved ones. And loved ones can be blood relatives, it can be friends, it can be their church community, a family to the patient is whoever they tell us they are. Um, in palliative care, we first consult with the patient if they're able to speak with us. We ask them who's important to them and who they want involved in their care. And then based on what the patient tells us, we include those individuals. And do you find, uh, I'm going to again go back to Dr. Westerman, is it difficult sometimes in terms of coordinating healthcare services for an older adult patient who's receiving palliative care? I'm aware that in hospitals, there are so many different services and so many different specialties who come in to see a patient. Are they all made aware of the fact that this, the patient is receiving palliative care and they, do they understand which form is being provided? How does that work, Dr. Westerman? I think it goes back to the difficulty of navigating uh, the healthcare system and the fact that there are many uh, providers and specialists and, and um, people involved in, in care. Um, 
I think there's challenges because health records are on different electronic systems, and so there's always a matter of uh, of getting information, you know, directly from our patients and you know about their their health history. Um, in, in terms of uh, helping uh, create a plan of care, um, that's that's the challenge. Every time you go to see your doctor in the office, every time you're a patient in an emergency room or hospital. Um, you're, you're getting care, you're hopefully getting better, but then what's the next step? Um, I think that palliative care um, is this broad approach um, and hospice is a very uh, defined part of palliative care, but it's, it's, it's really um, an excellent type of care uh, when a patient um, really uh, is at a certain point of their life or their care. And, um, but I think it's, you know, th this is where it's a little bit tricky because um, uh, in the United States, uh, Medicare primarily has uh, defined hospice in a certain way. And um, we, uh, as a result, um, you know, have to make certain decisions about um, our, the care that will continue or not continue, we'll uh, really need to have communication with our doctors about, okay, what, what could I help, what could benefit me, what uh, should I uh, focus on if, if treatments are not uh, benefiting me. Uh, frankly, palliative care and hospice uh, has benefits for uh, a very broad um, population of individuals, um, but hospice is really the most available palliative care in the community at large. And so we, we do need to talk about what hospice is. And we will for, in a second, but I also was going to ask kind of a, a part two question to this coordination of healthcare services. If you've got a patient that's in the hospital, and of course, prior to the hospital, the patient was probably seeing their primary care physician. Is there any consultation with the primary care physician who has a longer history of what their patient history is. Is that difficult in terms of coordination of healthcare services between the hospital personnel, physicians, versus the physicians perhaps that maybe somebody saw before they came to the hospital? How does that work? I think that the primary care physicians really are the provider that can um, know and communicate with their patients you know, in the way that brings in all the elements of care and, and understanding of patients' life. I think that there are difficult conversations about uh, advanced directives and care wishes and, and even just introducing ideas uh, to patients about, okay, I mean, we want you to, you know, understand that we can do very intensive care, but is that something that you would want? Or, um, you know, you're um, you're a very healthy 85-year-old and uh, um, you're on two medications and are very functional, um, but looking ahead to the next five years, uh, you know, or, or the remainder of your life, what uh, is important for us to know? What would you like your care to look like if you're not able to uh, um, speak for yourself? So, uh, these are very challenging discussions, and primary care physicians, um, uh, I see, do um, uh, 
have these discussions. Um, there are additional resources that I uh, know that we'll touch on a little bit later, and, and that can include um, uh, printed uh, advanced directives. Uh, and I think one of the things that is encouraging to me is that um, although there's an ethical and legal basis to things that we do in our society, um, there's not a requirement that you need a lawyer to do an advanced directive. You, you really don't need to have a notarized document to express your wishes or define your autonomy uh, or appoint decision makers for you. Now, what you're talking about as in terms of advanced directive and that, Kristen, I was going to ask you the question about, because you've already mentioned bereavement and other parts of of what palliative care is included, do you as a nurse and your team uh, members, are you involved with like representatives of, or contact on behalf of the patients, representatives of houses of worship? Are they considered part of the team or is this someone that you contact depending on who the patient is and bereavement resources? You talk a little bit more about that aspect of the palliative care. So at, at VHC representatives of houses of worship aren't officially part of the team, but they do play a major role in supporting patients and their loved ones through the decision-making process when requested. So I wanted to get back to you, Dr. Westerman. You talked about Medicare and palliative care and more Medicare is more, as I understand it, more specific with uh, hospice care than palliative care. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What can our listeners or what should they know about uh, insurance coverage, either Medicare or other policies regarding palliative care? Is there limitations on coverage? What do we need to know? Since most of my um, medical career has involved uh, an older population, uh, not exclusively, but a lot, uh, Medicare has been something that I've had to understand. and. Um, you know, it's a program that's that's going to be around certainly through my lifetime, and um, uh, it has um, really positive aspects and, and other aspects which are limiting, uh, you know, to us as as patients and insured individuals. Um, I think that um, hospice is um, an excellent program um, because of its approach and. Um, if you're a Medicare patient or a patient with really most other health insurances, it's extremely well supported and covered by insurance. So if you, uh, if you need to enroll or decide to enroll in hospice, um, you, uh, it, it opens up a lot of services for you, typically where you live, you know, hopefully in your primary home. Uh, and um, it, it's covered. Uh, either 100% or close to it. Now, um, since the early 1980s, Medicare has defined hospice as a program for patients with a life expectancy of six months or less if the disease runs its expected course, and uh, the patient uh, has to decide that uh, to enroll in hospice, they are going to forego some life-extending treatment. So it's the, those are the two criteria. Um, and um, so the question becomes, all right, uh, I have a more limited prognosis. 
probably six months or less. No one is going to um, slap your doctor's hand if they're wrong because we, we want patients to do well. And, um, you know, I, as, as uh, um, in, in good faith, I, I, you know, understand that patients uh, may have a more limited prognosis, but with good care, they could hopefully do better and live longer. Um, but let's say I have uh, a condition um, that uh, benefits uh, from uh, a, a cancer treatment or um, an immunotherapy or radiation treatments. Um, are those covered under hospice? And that's a challenging question because of the way the insurance uh, covers uh, medications and services. So. Uh, Medicare covers hospice under Medicare Part A, which is the, the hospital insurance. So in order to get um, hospice services um, uh, and, and enroll in uh, hospice under Medicare, uh, as a patient, uh, you have to decide, okay, I'm not going to um, uh, get you know, um, PET scans every four months. Um, I'm, I may not be able to get my, my specific therapies. Um, so that really leads to decisions which are challenging. And, um, uh, you know, we have um, uh, doctors that, um, you know, will have honest conversations with patients and say, um, your condition um, is not curable, but it's treatable. And uh, these are the therapies. These are the um, uh, potential toxicities, um, and uh, you know, so this is what we can offer and anticipate. Um, very often, I think, um, uh, particularly in in uh, the the specialties like oncology and cardiology and pulmonary medicine and uh, nephrology or renal medicine, um, doctors are are really trying to have. Um, heart-to-heart -heart discussions with patients and saying, um, we can do these, um, these intensive um, or, or, or chronic therapies, um, but let's look at how you feel. Let's look at um, how challenging it is to um, come in for therapies or dialysis. Um, uh, let's look at whether um, you, you would like to um, uh, invest your time and, and uh, resources to to getting the therapy, um, but maybe not the benefits. So, um, uh, you know, th these are challenging discussions. Um, there's no penalty to um, uh, enroll in hospice and say, you know what, I, you know, it's not for me. Um, uh, you know, there's no um, uh, obstacle or brick wall that um, you make a decision and that's it. So, uh, one of the things about uh, life and medical care is that we change our minds. Um, I, I think that uh, it's important to make uh, informed decisions, and um, I am I am a huge proponent of hospice because um, I've I've really um, been involved with hospice for 25 years and um, have seen uh, the tremendous care that it offers, the interdisciplinary care, the um, the supports. Uh, services, including bereavement for um, uh, survivors and loved ones for 13 months after a patient passes. Um, and um, frankly, I've had many patients that will not only um, live better, but live longer with hospice than 
if they were to continue care um, as they had been. So what I'm hearing you say is, is that hospice, because of insurance, has a specific time limit, although they can go longer. Palliative care is a little bit more wishy-washy. I don't want to, that's kind of a non-technical term, but I was just kind of wondering if there's kind of an average length of time an old an older adult patient, I'm specifically focusing on that, could receive palliative care. How do you determine then, you've, you've given some examples already as to what determines the transition, but just on average, how long does palliative care last? Palliative care uh, can last for years because of um, patients having a, a uh, serious or life-limiting illness. I mean, we have patients with sickle cell disease or um, slow-growing uh, cancers or um, chronic conditions. Um, chronic pain is um, uh, a very common issue, but um, pain is a very complex uh, phenomenon. And, you know, they're not just uh, medical and anatomic components. There are emotional and social components, and um, so it's very complex. Uh, this is not to equate palliative care with pain management, um, although I think um, you know we um, very often bring an expertise uh, in symptom management, uh, including pain. Um, I, I think there needs to be a lot more palliative care in in, in the healthcare system, um, I think that um, what I can say that we do today is, you know, we have our um, hospital consultative service. We have a health system, uh, Virginia Hospital Center, which is um, uh, committed to uh, and, and developing additional outpatient palliative services. Uh, and we have, um, you know, programs that have um, been uh, in place for decades that um, provide excellent care, but really require um, uh, some challenges in navigating the health system. And, um, you know, we have a, an aging population. Um, and uh, I, I think even um, when, as Kristen said, when, you know, uh, you're, you're a medical person yourself, but if you're trying to navigate and figure out, okay, who do I go see and what do I do? It's, uh, it's a challenge even for us. And Kristen, I wanted to get back to you now. You have been talking about the services that are offered at Virginia Hospital Center. Did I miss anything? Is there something else that listeners should know that's a part of palliative care services at Virginia Hospital Center? Yeah, and I can provide a little bit of background on our service in addition to that. Um, I guess I'll start with the background. Um We've had a palliative care service at Virginia Hospital Center for almost 20 years now. The palliative care service was started in October of 2004. Um, it was begun by a nurse and a physician joined her shortly thereafter. Um, VHC Health became a core hospital for Kaiser Permanente back in 2009. And so we do have a separate palliative care team for Kaiser Permanente insured patients as well. That was begun back in 2010. Um, in 2011, we consulted with the palliative care leadership centers of the University of Alabama and Birmingham for program development. 
Today, the team is comprised of a physician, Dr. Westerman, and a nurse coordinator, myself. We'll have a physician's assistant, or PA, joining our team in early September. And like we've mentioned, we work very closely with the pastoral care team, the unit uh, social workers and case managers, as well as the rest of the hospital staff. Um, We are currently an inpatient consult team, um, and we also have the ability to offer phone advice to those in the community. Our consults for hospital staff are for assistance with goals of care discussions, symptom management, end-of-life care, psychosocial support, advanced care planning, and assistance with discharge planning as it relates to palliative care and hospice. Uh, When people call in from the community asking for advice, uh, which we highly encourage them to do, uh, we provide phone guidance and referrals to them based on their situation to ensure that they receive the appropriate care they need. And like Dr. Westerman mentioned, we are hoping to expand our team in the next few years within the hospital as well as within the community. And if people wanted to, you're talking about phone advice and other information, can you give that resource so that folks can write that down? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Our phone number is 703-558-5291. And will there be a real live person who answers on the other end? or So if they call within normal business hours, they will receive a real live person on the other end of the phone. It's usually myself. Um, if they call on weekends or after hours or on holidays, they are able to leave a voicemail and we get back to them on the very next business day. Okay. Well, we're just about out of time. Just wanted to get back to you, Dr. Westerman. I was wondering, it sounds like palliative care is a specialty that's in all parts of the country. And I'm just wondering if you have colleagues that are dealing with this in other parts, since this podcast is broadcast in other places. Any thoughts or comments about that? It's a specialty that's developing in all 50 states and territories. Um, uh, More than half the hospitals with a hundred beds or more uh, have palliative care teams. Um, So we're seeing it um, established primarily in hospitals, but also in communities and allied with um, practices, including oncology. Um, You know, it's a relatively new specialty uh, of medicine. Um, The American Board of Medical Specialties uh, has only um, recognized it as a uh, board, uh, a boarded specialty since 2006. Um, uh, but again, you know, geriatrics has only been a specialty since 1982. So um, it's, uh, it's a newer specialty, um, but frankly, we need it as much as we need um, uh, pediatric intensive care and uh, nephrology and cardiology. It's, um, uh, you know, something that um, I think uh, is really important to um, our patients uh, and it's really valuable to healthcare systems. We're just about out of time. Any recommended resources that folks can learn more about palliative care? I'd encourage for um, advanced directives uh, and information similar to that uh, to go to the National Institute of Aging uh, website. Um, it's under the National Institutes of Health. Um, the um, 
Medicare, uh, CMS uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid has a lot of resources, including uh, services uh, being compared. Uh, there's hospice compare, there's nursing home compare, um, where you can, in your area, search and, and look at uh, information about different uh, services. All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Michael Westerman, the uh, specialist in geriatric medicine and palliative care, and Kristen Nanetti, who is the palliative care coordinator. Both of them are at Virginia Hospital Center. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl. Okay. And to learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, by visiting this site, you can hear all of the Aging Matters radio podcasts and the TV show episodes. And you can find those podcasts at the bottom of the page. Just click on the Apple or Spotify icon to listen to the podcast whenever you have time to do so. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. You can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters again today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 